Hello, hello. Welcome back, leading woman in tech. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Sonel Shah on. She is the author of a new book called She Chose Tech, where she advocates for how we all need to be focusing more on choosing technology as a career. Now, obviously, as listeners, you have already chosen tech, but I wanted to bring Sonel on because she's got some interesting insights into her career path and how Although she came to tech a little bit later in her career, it hasn't stopped her. Today, she is not just a speaker and a coach and a tech advocate, but she's also vice president in banking in the tech sector with over 20 years of experience. And she hasn't let her non-traditional background hold her up. We dig into all sorts in this interview. We talk about being a minority in senior management, her imposter syndrome, the resilience we need. And we have a very, very important discussion about AI. The, the challenge we're currently facing as a species with AI, the lack of regulation, and the role that we need to be playing as women in tech in the AI space. And so I hope with so many of us being curious about AI, you are going to be inspired to stand up, be the leader in the room who says, hey, AI, let's pay attention to some of these other issues that are just inconvenient to a lot of businesses right now. She even mentioned net zero. And if we're going to have AI involved in that, how we need to be talking differently. So now is just an inspiring woman all around. I can't wait to get her in front of you, but let me just give you a few more of her credentials. She has won multiple awards. She's won a Tech 100 award, diversity awards from We Are at the City, which is a UK-based, really important initiative for rising stars, promoting diversity and inclusion. She's also been a Community Leadership Award recipient for Empower Her Access Awards. And of course, she has written this book amongst many other things. So without further ado, let's get Sanal onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech, by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Sanal. It's so good to have you on here. Hello, good to meet you. I am so excited to hit record. Uh, let's start with giving the audience a little bit about you. Can you share with us your career journey to date? The highlights, those all important lowlights, which I think really get us to where we are in, our, in a moment and how you came to be so passionate about women having a voice in tech and contributing to tech innovation. My name is Sonal Shah. I've had over 20 years corporate experience and I um it used to be in a job where I was really unfulfilled and bored and I wanted a change and I could see the dynamic tech industry really taking off. This was before year 2000 and I just thought I want to be a piece of that. But I had no background in science or math or I thought what well, that's what I needed. So I did a lot of research and um, spoke to a lot of people and decided to take a year out because I had absolutely no knowledge or experience <laughs> on how to work in tech or what to do or what roles were available. So I took a year out and studied a master's, not saying that everybody needs to do that just to change careers, but that's my choice. I gave, It gave me a really good um, overview of the whole 
area. I did all sorts of things, information systems, programming, really good foundation and base on that master's course and uh, came out and then there was a massive dip in the economy, no jobs in technology, etc. So I did some voluntary work at the local hospital and by coincidence, I'd interviewed them, the manager during the dissertation. So I took some voluntary work in there and learned so much or learned the ropes and really a lot of basics on help desk, on training, uh, you know, learned lots and then slowly secured a full-time job outside of that particular place. And that began my journey. So I realised very quickly early on, there was a minority of females in the profession. You were mm. always going to be outnumbered and not really heard. And um, that, that's when my passions absolutely started to begin about how to help people. So I ended up doing joining a lot of different networks, going to conferences, going to events. That, you know, that there were fewer then as well, a lot fewer. Mm. And um, as a result of the work I was doing in, in, you know, helping people, speaking, writing, blogging, I won an award, my, my first two awards in the 2018 from We Are The City Rising Stars Awards sponsored by the Times in Diversity and the second award was in Technology, uh, Top Tech 100 it was called. And mm. I just decided after that that this is actually something that's so needed. I need to continue yeah. and carry on. And I, I, a couple of years ago I had an idea about writing and what, what was missing in the book world. And I spoke to an author I happened to be speaking to and she said, this is fantastic, you really do need to write this, there's not many tech books out there. However, the imposter syndrome got the better. <laughs> I procrastinated for a long time, did a lot of research and didn't really write the book. And then anyway, to cut a long story short, I published my book, She Chose Tech, last November, published and released it on Amazon and in some well-known bookshops as well on the 30th of November. So it is out there now as an Amazon bestseller. And I wanted to share the story and inspire others to know that there is a place for everybody within technology. Mm. You don't have to be core techie. So um, my passions for diversity have always been there, especially with the female agenda, but more so about having being minority in technology. And, you know, like even in senior management, we all know the story there at the board, at the tables, that's mm. not enough. And even less of women of colour. So I, I really go out there to share my messages. I do a lot of speaking. I do coaching and mentoring as well for a lot of people too. Mm. Well, let's, let's just talk a little bit about your role right now as well, because you you hinted there that you are a senior leader. You're a senior manager. You are a woman of colour, not just a woman in tech. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Like, Tell us a little bit about your role, first of all, if you wouldn't mind, and what it's like to be a senior leader, because you're very senior in your organization, from what I understand, a senior leader who is not just a woman, but a woman of color. The role I'm in projects, so it's not a hardcore technology role. I'm more in, I like the variety. I like dealing with people. <laughs> I do think it's challenging um, at any point in your career, like always being in a minority, you have to grow real strong resilience. You have to show mm. ways to be heard. You have to be articulating well and really show them that you are you deserve a seat at the table every just as much as they are there you are to be there too it can have its ups and downs i've had you know no career is is a straight line and i've had no. a lot of difficulties in the past which i've really learned from and i share that as well it's important to have mentors in place so yes. i absolutely pay that back now with others i'm a vice president where i am so i help the early careers or mid careers where they're frustrated and wanting 
something more and they're not getting it. So I try to help them through, you know, coaching and mentoring and, and help on networking and branding and things like that. So I like to inspire the younger people as well and share the story so that they can also learn from where I've gone wrong, perhaps, and um, be inspired to achieve more because sometimes people sit back too much. I find the important thing is they cannot see someone like themselves. And that's where I mm. really, really try to hone in on that message when I'm in my working world, because you, you just have to be out there. You have to be sharing consistently and constantly mm-hmm. for these other females to see you that they too can aspire to be whatever they want to be. It's actually interesting you just say that, you know, it's, it's seen those role models. And you also spoke briefly there about the resilience we need as leaders. Uh, I was actually having a conversation just earlier this week with members of my um, leadership training program where we, we coach and train women leaders. And the the topic that was coming up was this additional resilience burden that we have as women because we don't have people like us around us. It isn't just that we need resilience, we need even more resilience in our male peers because we have so few role models. Have have you experienced that one? I have. I think I think it's um, a fine line. You do have to put a lot of things in place. And yeah. in early career, you won't realise that. So it, it's important to have your mentors, but it's equally important to have allies. And when I talk mm. about allies, we always talk about male allies. I personally think females have to help each other a lot more than they do. Well, that's and that's why you're here, right? Is is your passion for yeah. encouraging more women into tech and then climbing the ladder in tech? I, I want to shift gears a little bit because I know you're very passionate about the diversity of thought that we need in terms of AI. And AI, of course, is a very hot topic globally right now. It is a huge part of the growing tech industry. I would say almost fifty percent of the women I work with have a desire either to be in AI or in AI or their company is worrying about AI. Everybody is thinking AI. It's either AI or cloud, right? (laughs) And what is going on with AI and why is this lack of diversity in AI leadership a problem? I think um, it it just goes back to AI has already been around for many years. I think it's really come to the forefront recently because things are rapidly improving and expanding and, you know, being developed. I think we are you know, because it mimics human behavior. Mm -hmm. So this is where the the worries and concerns are coming in from a lot of people. So we we really need to educate people more. We need a lot less bias full stop in technology and making this technology. If we haven't got diversity of thought within all of the mix of people working in technology, and currently there's only 26% of females in Mm -hmm. tech in the UK, and even less of women of colour. So I think that's a really important point to factor in. Without that diversity of thought, they're building and making AI, but is it taking account of everybody? It's certainly not. So how can it be a successful thing? The other point I'd like to make is, you know, people need a lot more education and awareness about this and what it involves. And, And the other side of it is we need to look at collectively as a community we need to look and think about the regulation because it's run away with with everyone so quickly I think the government also need to I know they are doing some work on this but in my opinion it's not fast enough they need to look at the regulations they need to be ready for all of what's going to be coming in so rapidly so there's going back to the basics I just I just feel like we need a lot more diversity within the making of different technologies AI especially just for example things in the early days were built with that with 
with males in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and then you go back around the loop, re redesigning things like the seat, car seat belts or different things that were made, especially not really for us. You know, we're, in the early days, I know women used to hold on to their mm -hmm. seatbelt lights because it didn't fit properly or, you know, they were tugging at it. So there's, in, with AI, we will face the same problems as well, yeah. but in a, in a much larger way. I, I, and I think that's the key thing. It's a much harder way. You know, I've I've been talking about this for a decade now about how so many things have been built with only white men in the room. The most famous one I learned about early on is Google Translate. Mm. When it was first turned on, it had no understanding of female pronouns because it, as far as we, I understand, it was all male, white male engineers who'd programmed it. And it just erased women from history on the internet overnight. Mm -hmm. Because Google Translate just just didn't know how to deal with female pronouns, and I mean that was very profound. The impact it had just, to, and we already have a problem not recognizing women in history. That we're doing some work to. I th I love what historians are now doing, trying to find the stories of women, the hidden women, and what they've contributed to society. Oh, yes. and we're finally getting there, but we're on the cusp now of a completely different era of information that's generated by AI. People now can't tell the difference between something that's human generated and computer generated that's happening all the time and yet it's been trained on data sets which are male focused i agree what what where do we see this go like what can we do as a species to tackle this we're talking about data sets and like how it's developed i think the emotion part is missing so again you know the females can add that value there because mm. an ai robot or a bot can't understand emotions but putting all this programming in you do need this diversity because they're just not thinking about mm -hmm. these things it's a very tricky area and um, it's just rapidly, rapidly expanding and being developed. I think they need to really slow down and think about this carefully, which is obviously not going to happen. There's so, money involved, right? Nobody wants to slow down when there's money on the table. This is the problem. And yeah. I think we've seen this with the social media explosion and that the regulation is a decade behind the platform, the technology. And governments just don't even know where to begin yes with legislating for ai i mean they it, it's what do you do i mean <laughs> my husband had a spam call today um a telephone call which was totally a phishing attempt to take personal data from him and he hung up afterwards and said we have got no hope when ai starts doing this for us that's right i that's probably shouldn't be saying that on the podcast but i'm sure somebody saw of it i'm sure he's not the first one <laughs> Because you can't tell dangerous. the difference. Yeah, it's so dangerous. And it is something with these big prominent figures, governments, all these mm -hmm. big key figures. I did meet Mo Gorda briefly. I had pleasure of meeting him last year at a conference and I did ask him about the regulation and he just thinks that people, the government aren't moving fast enough really and yeah. doing enough, which I agree with him because um, it, they should have been considering this a long time ago, not that I'm politics just generally the key figures in you know in the developments of technology as well you know they all needed to come together as mm -hmm. a community and start early but better late than never I you know I know there are things happening now but they have a lot to do yeah and I, I would say like I don't think there's any government in the world doing this right I mean I, I think every country like I work hugely across the whole of Europe and the whole of the North America and I'm not seeing any government actually tackling this, I, partly because I don't think we know how to tackle it. Yes. While we have a capitalist culture, 
which means profit drives everything. And, and the problem is these companies that are really pushing AI, it's profit driven. Yeah. They can have an ethical framework as a company, but ultimately they're here to make money for their shareholders, right? That's right. That's right. But the this is where the interesting point is on ethics. Ethics must yeah. come into it, must be central mm. forefront. For example, you know, the uh, net zero, that's a really big topic at the moment. If you're going to have AI involved in it, then it needs to recognize and learn everything you know, around all the different processes and different things that go into talking about net zero. So mm. you know, that it is a re- another really important point to consider. Yeah. What do you see is the impact that a new generation, because I know your passion here is like, let's get more women into tech, right? What is the impact you would like to see in the next decade of having a generation of women inspired by women like you and your book? really going, you know what, we need to take the reins of this. We need to do something differently. What would you like to see happen in the next 10 years? I'd like to see the balance and the actual balance within the industry. In, and we stop talking about, oh, there's only 20 or 26% of females in the industry. We mm. don't need to actually even consider that anymore. That'd be lovely. We've got a lovely like, balance. And, um, you know, there's plenty of diversity of thought then and in some ways it may expand more quicker and and better in more efficient way with this mix of people if you like and I just think people in general I wrote my book she chose tech in a very simple way to teach people and and in a written a simple way to learn more about technology there's a whole chapter written simply about what AI is or what blockchain means or what crypto means I think there needs to be a lot more awareness and education so uh, you know in the future I just hope people just realize and understand what what's going on in a in a basic Mm. way but just know about it there are so many people that really have no idea and no clue which is quite sad to see because those people weren't obviously taught it at school. We've got a whole generation that didn't really yes. come across it at all. I think back into my education and I, I studied engineering like as in, as part of my A-level physics. It wasn't, there wasn't really even an opportunity to do much beyond that. Like computing was a bit of a joke when I was at school, to be honest. And I didn't study it. Um, I learned more at home than I would have done studying that. Um, And then obviously I I studied physics at university, but there wasn't an opportunity for for my generation to learn any of this stuff at school. And obviously you pivoted to it, the career. But we've now got a generation where they've grown up with technology. Like they've all got cell phones, mobile phones. Um, I, I find it utterly fascinating that my niece and nephew knew how to pinch and zoom on a phone before they turn one. Oh my goodness. I, I was just like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's just a mad world that we live in, right? <laughs> like both of them, like they knew, they knew, you hold a phone in front of them and they couldn't speak, but they'd be like pinching and zooming. And um, a friend of mine told me a story where they held up a photo in front of a child, a small little toddler, and the, and the child was trying to pinch and zoom goodness because God. they're so used to being able to zoom in on things. He was like, no, no, this is a photo, not a not a digital tool. And so we've got a whole generation which has grown up with technology, but I'll be educating kids enough to go and do, take take this challenge on. I think that's a difficult one because I think, you know, the, the communication is in a different format as well with this generation. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. to phones and actually the good old-fashioned face-to-face meeting. 
says a lot. You can read body language. Mm-hmm. It, it gives you so much more sometimes. So we do need to go back sometimes to the basics a little bit, but it's going to be, I think it's too hard to drive them back again, really. They've grown up with it. They're, they're in a different, a completely different kind of culture. And, and it is quite difficult. I, I do find that one difficult, really. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about what some of the women listening to this podcast can do as there are already women in tech. But part of what really inspired me about your story is the fact that you don't have a traditional tech background and yet you're you're a VP, you're very influential in your company. You've had a big impact professionally, but you don't have that traditional background. I work with women almost on a daily basis who are like, I can't go for that. I don't have this, this and this. I'm like, it does not matter. Right here, case in point, you're an example of why it doesn't. What do you wish you'd learned earlier in your career to get out of your own way when it comes to your career trajectory? I think I wish I'd learned more about mentoring and um, getting that help to get out of your comfort zone because I... We all get the imposter syndrome effect, but I think get coming out of your comfort zone is the big first step to take. And I think I was very brave when I did what I did because everyone was saying, well, you know, you really should be doing this and shouldn't be doing that. And why are you mm-hmm. doing such a good, secure job? But I just knew in my heart that I didn't want to do that. I wanted the change and I took the risk. I think coming out and being brave and coming out of your comfort zone can give you so much more and and the Mm. second thing is uh, networking speaking to a lot of people increasing your networks with people that you normally meet that's absolutely valuable as well and I wish I'd learned that a little bit earlier as well because it does help you along the way it's amazing what you learn from others and and the networks and the communities Mm -hmm. you build up well let's talk about networking for a little bit I've talked about this before the show but I know so many of us struggle with this why specifically is your network the thing that's more important than say having the traditional whatever that means background professionally like what is it about networking that makes a difference i to to be fair i for example when i changed careers actually without speaking to people i may not have got even more inspiration to do it because i could mm. hear what others were doing and although i had no clue about some of the technical background and and really didn't enjoy science at school at all or maths which I thought that was core skills needed to be in technology and it's absolutely not these days there's a role for everybody it touches tech touches all of our lives there's something there for everyone to match your skills you just have to do that research a bit and question and ask lots of questions and and be inquisitive so I think that those things are really good you know to be aware about as well you know, you, you can't get anywhere on your own. You 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 know, it's no. a group, isn't it? So I think those things need to be remembered as well. And um never under underestimate that power of networking. You just don't know where one conversation can lead. I had people no. help me even through the networking, oh yeah, why do you want to leave? You know, you're not gonna get a job because the economy is this, that and the other. But actually it still worked, you know, and mm-hmm. it worked through talking to people. Yeah, I mean, even right now, the the economy being as tough as it is, I know the job hunt is about the worst I've seen um, as a coach. I don't know how it compares to what you saw after your master's, um, but this is the the toughest environment I've worked in. And all the clients of mine who are landing jobs, all networking related. It really is. I mean, like 90% of their interviews are coming from networking even now. And when recruiters aren't really taking referrals, and it's it's really hard to get a recruiter response thing. 
even still with all that, networking is the way to get in the door. Would you agree? It really is. I totally agree. You, you, those, they do say that the vacancies land on a recruiter's desk, but actually nine times out of 10, it's someone who knows somebody will have already mm-hmm. been aware of that particular vacancy. So it does pay off to be aware. And it helps, you know, through your interview process, it may help mm-hmm. you just learn a little bit of how to tackle these things better. Yeah. Well, let's move from networking to sponsorship, because I know that's something else you're very passionate about. What do you mean? I mean you and I have had this conversation before we hit record, but what do you mean by sponsorship of women in the workplace, first of all? So we all know we're on the same page here. I think we need to start around the allyship piece. So it's always yeah. important to bring allies you know, into your fold. And I didn't, I wasn't aware in my early career what allyship meant. It's not just about men being allies to females, it's allyship with your female counterparts as well. And having someone, you know, watch your back and help you or you help them. It's both two ways and really understanding your points of view so that perhaps they can articulate, especially when you're female in this male-dominated environment, it helps to have some male allies in meetings or key key figures in the room because you're not always heard. And unfortunately, people do have that bias, do have that perception of certain people. So you absolutely need to bring allyship into the fold. And then sponsorship is a, a mentoring helps as well when you find somebody that can mentor you through through your challenges. It's, it's absolutely beneficial. But what also I would say is sponsorship is absolutely key as well. But you have to work on your sponsors of yes. who's going to talk about you when you're not in that room. You really have to work work on them and make sure that they are, you know, they just do the job for you without even after a while reminding or saying anything because they've experienced you in such a way that they think you're really good and competent at what you do. That's that's a really important thing there because I, I was going to, my follow-up question was going to be, so how do we get started with sponsorship, right? And you've kind of hinted at it there, which is they think you're just really good at what you do. And one of the problems we have as women, uh, as, as women of color in your case, like whenever we're different from the majority, we know statistically speaking, it is harder to stand out. Now, the flip side is I actually think in some ways we stand out better <laughs> when we own who we are, but we sometimes stand out for the wrong reasons. So I know from many women, we're like, I don't know how to get a sponsor. Like, it's so hard to get somebody to talk about me. What did you do? How did you get sponsors and those advocates for you? I think you you have to sort of do over and above in your job a little bit, just mm. stand out and show them what you're capable of when you've been asked to do something over deliver not just about the day job, do things outside of the day job as well, because it makes you more rounded. I joined the networks as soon as I joined the company I'm at now. And um, that was very fruitful because I learned to, you know, I met lots of new people and I learned a lot of things. I think I got my first mentor through that, which was really valuable. So those things are also important. And and basically, if you look consistently delivering and over-delivering, you know, it will tire you out. You don't want to be doing it all the time, but somebody that appreciates you, you know, have that coffee with them, coffee chat. I'm really interested in you. I'd like to know more. And how did you get to where you are, etc. All of those things, they all count towards it too. And you're building that relationship over a period of time. It, sponsorship is a long game and it never happens mm. overnight because you're, you are, you know, at work, you're proving yourself, you're delivering whatever it is you're, you're doing within your projects or, you know, whatever role you're doing. I think it's important though, sponsorship it is one that's often overlooked. Yeah, hugely, hugely. Okay. I want, I like to ask this question of, of many of my guests. 
What is the one thing you want every female leader in tech listening to this episode to do differently starting today? Be inspired by whoever you admire, whether it's female or male. Be inspired, but actually push yourself to come out of your comfort zone and then you achieve more. It's a it's a very tough ask, but when you do it, it is, it is a absolutely so fulfilling. I didn't think that I'd change careers ever. I didn't think that, you know, I would be able to make mm-hmm. a successful transition. Many other achievements over the years, for example, just writing the book last year, I, I you know, all of these things, if you step out a bit, you achieve so much more and have that support network in place, have your have your mentors, have your network or community because people really help each other. Most people want the best for you. So always yeah. have that in mind too. But I think the one thing is definitely try and be brave because as women we aren't brave we we lack confidence compared to other compared to our male counterparts we we have to push ourselves a bit more so as mm. females encourage each other really have each other's backs a lot more as well help each other we do not help each other enough and, and it's oh, I agree with that. see it's not competition if if more of us get further then it's better for all of us surely it's not mm-hmm. competition between each other There is, I keep saying to everybody I meet, there is plenty of room at the top for us as great leaders. The problem is there are too many mediocre leaders at the top because we aren't lifting each other up. Yeah. Uh, And there is, it's time. It's really time. So I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Technology, just in general, one last thing is we we always think you've got to be 80% of the job description, but actually don't just go for it even forty no. percent just go for it <laughs> I was first that you say 40 I I say to my because a lot of my clients are like I can't go for that job oh my gosh oh my gosh and like my standard metric is 50 percent right yeah. but I know I've gone for roles and succeeded with way less than 50 yeah. um I so I love that you said 40 because yeah. I actually think we just need to get out of that mindset of like I need to tick all these boxes I love that. Well, they yes. do it. They don't even meet like 50% and they're out there probably applying. Yes. So confident they still fit the role and get, get the role. So we're not doing that and that's not helping. Yeah. Them. And ultimately it is an artificial checklist. Those checklists have been dreamed up by somebody who needs a way to like write something about the job. It is very artificial. The reason why men will land jobs with less than 50% of the attributes is because they sell themselves when they get there and they convince the person in front of them I'm the right person to do this. I can learn all those things, yeah. but I'm the right person for this role. Yeah. You know what? We as women, we have every right to do that as well. We do. We, we just need the confidence and we need to bring yes. each other up a lot more to be able to do these things. Yeah. That way we will increase diversity. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Oh, I love this. Well, let's move on to the quick fire round before we run out of time. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Oh gosh. <laughs> you can't. I, I, I do ask follow-up questions. Like it's not like super fast because like I am just way too nosy. Let's start with my favorite question. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh gosh, um, that's a hard one. Just work hard and, you know, everything will be okay. Well, no, it's not. There's so much more to it than having your head down working. That's the worst piece of advice. It's, it's terrible. I just, I think working hard is actually not the recipe for success at all. I hate the whole hustle culture, which is still being promoted. It is bad for business. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think, um, you know, help everybody along the way, because when you're at the top, you, you you know, you can't knock anybody on the way up to the top. You don't know who you come across because it's a small world. So that's yes. really good advice because you take people with you. They will remember you for a long time. 
Oh, 100%. I just had today on LinkedIn, a person that I worked with a decade ago reach out to me oh, lovely. and asking for my advice. And I was like, I looked up to this guy a decade ago. So amazing. Yeah, like it's, it's interesting. What is the last book you read? And would you recommend it? Oh, gosh, I can't say I've read a book cover to cover. I've been doing lots of research <laughs> and things for my book. So there's been a lot of um, articles and things like that. So, you know, Forbes and uh, the consultancy papers and things like that. So <laughs> I'll be honest to say I haven't actually read a book cover to cover. <laughs> Maybe that's something that will change this year. Now your book is finished, right? You get the chance to read again. I think, you know, reading is one of those things I when I'm when I'm stressed, it falls off the list and I go back to it and I feel so sentenced. So I hope you find time to read again this year, like reading a physical book or listening to a book. Okay, mindset tips. I love to give a mindset tip at the end of every episode. So what is your favorite mindset tip for women in tech leadership? You, you just have to believe that you can. You, if you're in that positive mindset, then you will definitely go ahead and maybe not achieve all of it, but at least a lot of it, whatever mm. it is that you set out to do. So I can, you know, believe I can. <laughs> 100%. How can people connect with you, find out more about what you do, find your book? Where can we find you online? My um, website is called shechosetech.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. And the book is on Amazon, so you can look it up on Amazon too. And my Perfect. Instagram handle is she chose tech. So please do follow the Instagram handle and the same for Facebook too. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. So if you've been inspired by Sanal's interview today, make sure you go over to the show notes, grab those links and follow Sanal. Um, Sanal, I like to ask this question right at the end, which throws some people. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, gosh. <laughs> not here. I think just reach out if anybody has any questions. I think it's um, always lovely to connect. So do do reach out on, on LinkedIn. I'm usually on there. And uh, yes, we can chat if you need to know more. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your words of wisdom. I hope, listeners, that you're feeling inspired to maybe go and take on the world of AI and offer some of that different perspective. Maybe you have a bit of ammunition for going and getting yourself a sponsor. Maybe there's another woman around you that you've realized needs a bit of a lift up. But I hope today's interview has really inspired you to do something a little bit different moving forwards. Remember, as always, stay in your tech leadership game. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.